0: Good evening, you are with Lee Chui Lin and Sharad Kutten. First up this hour, a look into the cultural and political significance of the Yang Di Putuan Agong in light of today's swearing-in ceremony.
1: And then on trending today, what is the best way to show support for someone going through a tough time?
0: Let us know that number to call is 7733 2900. Tweet us at BFM Radio and send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our U mobile number 018 789 8899 All this coming your way on the Evening Edition.
1: Bold, fearless, Malaysia.
2: BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
0: It is 5.08 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sherad. Uh, We're starting today with the swearing-in of His Majesty Sultan Ibrahim Sultan Iskandar of Johor as the 17th Yang di Agung, Agong, uh, which took place in a ceremony in Istana Negara this morning that was steeped in tradition. The Perak ruler, Sultan Nazrin Shah, meanwhile, took the oath of office as well as Deputy King. They both took the oath, signed the instruments of office before the other Malay rulers and regents, the governors of Malacca, Penang, Sabah, Sarawak, and also dignitaries from the executive, legislative and judiciary.
1: Yeah, so just to make a distinction between the swearing-in that happened today and the coronation, which typically, I think if you look at past practice, will happen somewhere in the middle of the year. The date has not been determined. Typically, also, they announce the date a month before it happens. So that's a different ceremony, but... Apparently, today's swearing-in also was steeped in a lot of uh, pomp and ceremony.
0: Yes, a different ceremony and one that's much more public. I I think that that's a major distinction, right? Because if we look at the people who were in attendance today, in comparison with something like a coronation, which is much grander uh, in scope, then I think the it becomes clearer what's happened because today, um, essentially, the ceremony took place in the Balai Rung Suri and it was actually held during the 264th special meeting of the Conference of Rulers, which was presided over by Sultan Mizan Zainal Abidin of Trungganu. And uh, earlier, we got up to the point where they took their oath and signed uh, the instruments of office. Subsequently, the Prime Minister then read out the instrument of the proclamation, which officially signified the Agong's ascension as the new head of state under the laws and the federal constitution and then after there were also prayers. So what's interesting is
1: that this is not just news in Malaysia, but it's also been picked up by portals outside. Uh, the diplomat very interestingly noted the business status of the incoming Agong. Uh, and so it had now the, the Agong. Now the Agong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, now, uh, and sort of signaled it in the headline saying billionaire Sultan of Johor. So um, I think noting his uh, extensive uh, Uh, sort of involvement in business dealings?
0: Well, that and I think the reason why it's caught uh, attention has also to do with the fact that he is perhaps um, in his own right a high-profile royal, um, and has been even prior to the ascension to the position of agung. So there is interest around this. There has been interest um, for a few months now. He's also given interviews and talked about his intentions um, as ruler of the country, some of which we'll get into perhaps at a later date. So today we are focusing on the cultural and political significance of the role of the Agung, but also of royalty in the context of our country. And joining us to do that will be Professor Datuk Dr. Shamsul Amri Baharudin, who is the Director of the Institute of Ethnic Studies at UKM. We'd like to hear from you though, if you have any thoughts you'd like to share, you can call 7773 send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio.
2: Burning for more. BFM
1: 89.9, the business station.
0: It is 512, and you're listening to the evening edition with Lynn and Sherad. We are talking today about the uh, cultural significance and political significance of the ru- the role of the ruler of the country, the, the Yang Di Patuan Agung. And that is because today, the uh, Sultan of Johor, Sultan Ibrahim Sultan Iskandar was sworn in as the 17th Yang di Agung. Agong. If you have thoughts or questions you'd like to share, that number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Speaking with us now though, we have Professor Datuk Dr Shamsul Amri Baharudin, Founding Director of the Institute of Ethnic Studies at UKM. Prof, thanks for speaking with us today. So, Malaya's first agung was installed in 1957 and unlike many ancient Royal Malay houses, the institution of the agung itself is a modern post-independence innovation. Can you help us understand the symbolic and cultural value of the swearing-in of the agung?
2: Well, I think the first thing we must realise, we have seven sultan, Perak, slango, uh, Selangor, Kedah, Johor, uh, Terengganung, Pahang, and then Raja Perlis dengan yang di Putan Pesan Sembilan. So this is what we call uh, Majlis Raja-Raja Melayu, the Malay Rulers. Yeah? See, the first thing we must realise with these nine uh, royal uh, houses that we have, uh, we have decided in the constitution to have a rotation among them to become the Yang Di-Pertuan Agong. In fact, the title Yang Di Pertuan Agung is borrowed or adopted from Yang Di Pertuan Besar Negeri Sembilan. And it was not until uh, the last five years when Agung has actually become more significant in terms of political power with the change of Prime Minister, change of government, because any government has to be endorsed by the Agung. The Agung will endorse the Prime Minister or the one who has the most support from the uh, party that uh, won the election and he also can say that okay it's enough uh, you you have to retire somebody else might take over so this is what the power of the Agong is and then he can ask and instruct the Prime Minister have a parliament sitting and see whether you get support or not so I think the political symbolism is two one is the traditional political symbolism as the head of uh, the country or the state or the negeri. The other one is now in the way government and governance is being run in the country. So these are the two important uh, symbolic, cultural, as well as political value that relates to the Agung and its coronation.
1: Now, has it grown in importance over the years and what have been the most significant challenges for the institution since its inception?
2: I think the most important... Single challenge that he has is to be to play the role of political decider. You know, they're they, they really the one and single political decider. How, for example, there was a time when uh, a party has 120 uh, statutory declarations, so the Agong call every one of them who has signed this to reaffirm what they have done and what they have agreed to. So, in a way, he is an arbiter, to, You know, he, he, he. He he, he he judged and he made decisions based on his first-hand um, collection of information rather than usually the king will receive reports. Huh? The prime minister will report to him and who else, whoever, will come and report to him about the state of epidemic in the country. But when it comes to the selection of prime minister, selection of government, he himself directly is involved now. Uh, that's why Sultan... Uh, Bahang, who became the Agung, has a very unique experience of presiding over three different governments, you know. So it's very interesting for us. So for the young ones, they don't see what uh, the more interesting part of the Agung is the last five years, not the last years. So I think that this is how, because I've seen them from day one, so I know uh, the excitement of waiting for Agung's decision is different from the excitement of uh, waiting for Hari Raya, waiting for puasa, you know. So this, so that's a different uh, aspect of their cultural role.
0: And can we talk specifically about the Johor Royal House, well known for its modernizers like Sultan Abu Bakr, who reigned during the 19th century? What should we understand about the unique history of Johor's royals?
2: Well, um, conceptually, the question is, does Johor modernise or westernise the Sultanate? See, there are two different things. You say modernize, what is modernization? Modernization and modernity involve three things. Number one, the role of science and technology is being upgraded and considered as the most principle of modernization. Second, scientific governance where you have bureaucracy, where you have uh, departments because Sultan Melaka, there's no department in Sultan Melaka. You know? So, uh, Johor, has got that and then finally uh, whether it is practicing a capitalist system in the modern world. So that's what is called modernized. So Johor was modernized or westernized because all these three elements are not local elements. They are all elements that have already existed in France, in Germany. When Johor adopted this, they adopted, for me, they adopted both. They opted elements of Western modernization to become their uh, uh, framework of operation, uh, framework of existence as an empire. So, Joho is uh, revolutionary in that sense like, compared to the other uh, Sartanit and Raja in our country. And then if you study gamelan, you know, the music gamelan is come from Johor, uh, from Indonesia may have, but there's a Johor form, then go to Tengganung, go to Pahang. The rule of Johor is not simply a governance and a model of a, a, sultanate, a modern sultanate, because they also have got low influence of Turkey in the way that you can see Sultan Johor is the only Sultan that Turkish like Songkok. Uh, they don't have this uh, uh, Malay headgear. Sultan Johor is that is. Very militaristic in this way he represents himself, which is uh, understandable because of the influence of the modernization and the Westernization of Johor simultaneously taking place. And that's why a lot of concept of Bangsa Johor, because Johor is the first one that has uh, received a lot of uh, foreign labor to work in its uh, state. If we talk about bangsa Malaysia, where unity in uh, plurality, Johor has already embarked on this notion of uh, unity in uh, diversity. So that's why bangsa Johor is the product of them.
1: Now, as you said, the Agong is elected among the nine royal rulers, seven of whom are sultans. Can you talk to us about the difference between the roles of the Agong and those of uh, sultans?
2: The constitution... Actually, provide a form of division of labor between Sultan and Agong. So, Agong relates to federal matters. So, there are specific provisions in the constitution where Agong is supreme. That's why he's called the supreme ruler. He also the head of religion and, and adat in Slango, in the federal territory. Slango in uh, Labuan, in Putrajaya. So, ketuan is an Agong. But the state government or the state governance is run at the apex by the Sultan or the Raja. And then comes the Menteri Besar. The Menteri Besar was originally British advisor. And then when they left, we created Menteri Besar or kuto Menteri. And then the lower level is the Pungulu the traditional. So the traditional element in uh, locating the Raja or the Sultan is very necessary and important. And that creates the difference between Agung and the Sultan.
0: So let's talk then about the incoming Agong, Sultan Ibrahim Sultan Iskanda, who has been known to be someone who does not shy away from speaking his mind on matters of religion, politics, the economy. Is this unusual in a monarch?
2: Well, generally, uh, we always believe that uh, they don't have to get involved in many things, you know, because uh, we have a governance system which is self-running, you know. The Sultan is there seen as Symbolic and cultural value. But certain Yoho, this particular Sultan Yoho, not every certain Yoho, this particular Sultan Yoho, uh, I would say has a lot more interest and opinion about what happened, not only in Yoho, but also in the country as a whole. So, what makes him more uh, known for that is because he's willing to talk to the press, you know? The Star has been one of the newspapers which covers a lot of what he has to say. I remember the Datuk Wang Kimwai interviewed him a number of times. So not to Melayu, not Sinar, not Berita Why did Sultan Johor choose The Star? I think because in English, so he's trying to talk to the non-Malay non speaking and also the expat. Expect. the country. So I think he's quite uh, smart in the way he chooses communication platform. And that's why he's covered now with digital. He got his own Facebook, TMJ is of course with his football team. So the whole Johor ecosystem, I call it, the Johor royalty ecosystem is different from the other royalties in the country. He sits on top of that and he provides his opinion. And you know, and he's smart enough to have this interview with Singapore, not with Malaysia with the States of Singapore to express what he wants as an algo.
1: In 2017, His Majesty spoke out against a Muslim-only laundrette that refused to serve non-Muslims on the grounds of purity, saying that if everything is forbidden, then it would be better to be uh, living in a cave than in a community. He seems to take um, a more open attitude, you like, uh, towards Islam. How do you think this will impact religious matters on a federal level?
2: Well, he can give his advice, but uh, there's a limit what he can do about religion because it's a state matter. So whatever he says about religion, what he wants to do, maybe for the federal territory, the mufti have to carry out the administration of religion and territory, which involve Labuan, Kuala Lumpur, Putrajaya. But what it involves other negeri, uh, it's not his jurisdiction. So he also is aware. So that's why when he was a Sultan in Johor, he's basically referring to what happened in Johor. He's not talking about what happened in Kelantan, what happened in Selangor. He's talking about Johor. His realm of power is there in Johor. So his interpretation uh, of what is right and wrong, moral and otherwise is all related to the Johor experience.
0: You referenced earlier the interviews that the Sultan of Johor, now Agong, has given. And in one with Singapore Straits Times, His Majesty said that he wants his role to include more responsibilities. And he was quite specific, including a direct oversight over the MACC and Petronas. What impact do you believe this will have on the government of the day and governance more broadly?
2: Well, I think the first important thing that uh, nobody really wants to reply, basically from what I have read in the press, very few parties replied, but they reply very gently and trading on eggshells almost, you know. Uh, this is our incoming ago But he expressed his opinion in Singapore, not in Malaysia. So it is also a sign for the Malaysian to take it or leave it in a sense that, okay, unless he said his statement in Malaysia, it's different. It becomes almost an opinion of the agung to be But in Singapore, he may be addressing... Uh, an issue about uh, how it relates to Singapore, Malay, Singapore, Malay, Singapore, Muslim. So I think very important for us to remember, he has chosen not to say this in Malaysia. Why? So he knows. He's aware. There's a limit of saying these things in Malaysia. But in Singapore, in New York, you can say whatever you like. And we, on our part, we are given the chance to argue against it or ignore it or use it. Or follow it. So I think it's up to the and the government and the governance of the day. But the constitution has clear guidance uh, for whatever we want to do. His limitation and also his, uh, his power, the final power, absolute power that he has, is basically about the construction of the government, election. What is the result? Who will be the prime minister? He has the ultimate power, absolute power.
1: Prof, in watching the swearing-in ceremony today, what would you like Malaysians to be mindful of?
2: Well, I, I'm quite sure there's not many country in the world has this institution. At one level, you can say that uh, he has an element of divisiveness because they are different, you know. Because this Sultan was for the first time put together in 1948 when Federation of Malaya was created. Before that, there was federated Malay State, unfederated State. So you can see today, uh, the unfederated Malay State have uh, their own civil service. But the rest, Peneng, including Penang and uh, Melaka, they have public service. And they are not the same. So I think we, what Agung, the ceremony and Agung remind us is that we may have nine royal families. But these nine royal families, they have their own opinion about this country and they have the open idea they have the and it's based on what they are doing in each of the states. so I think this is what uh, Malaysians should take note that this royal family, even though some people is saying it's archive uh, institution but uh, well it has uh, adjusted itself uh, through the British period they have been made to I would say with due respect to all of them, they have made to look very smart, much smarter than before when I know. There's a photo Undang Jilabu has no shoes. We always talk about thinking outside the box. Huh? But in Malaysia, I'm arguing. You may not agree. We can think outside the box. But the moment we're outside the box, there's a tempurung. Big tempurung. What is that tempurung? <laughs> royal tradition, royal procedure. So Anwar says, Tata Kelola. In the end, that's the one that decides who we are in many ways. And there is a uh, seditious act to look after and protect this. So I think in one way, so the significance of the ceremony is more symbolic and visual, but the underlying existence of this system that present, that is presented in the ceremony is our DNA in Malaysia.
0: Prof thank you so much for speaking with us today that was professor datuk dr shamsul amri baharudin founding director of the institute of ethnic studies at ukm talking to us about the the role actually of the yang deepatuan agung and that is coming as today the his Majesty Sultan Ibrahim Sultan Iskandar of Johor was sworn in as the 17th Young Diputuan Agong. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, uh, that number to call is 7733 You can send us a voice note or WhatsApp 18 and tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.